John chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 44 today. Much of what I'm going to be saying this morning uh, may seem familiar to anyone who's been here regularly over the last three or four months. We, right before Advent began, we just wrapped up the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. And through that book, the topic of joy came up a lot. We talked about joy almost every single week. It came up a lot because joy was elusive to King Solomon uh, throughout his life. Everything that he did and tried, he came up empty, right? He gave himself everything that he could ever want, pretty much. He said, under the sun. He always said, under the sun, because he wasn't pursuing the things of God. He was pursuing the things of earth, and he found all of it lacking. It never fulfilled his desires. He had power. He had prestige. He had money. He had pleasure. He had achievement after achievement. And at the end of it all, he said it was vanity of vanities. Basically, that's his way of saying it was completely and utterly meaningless, completely futile. And there was no joy to be found in any of that. And we talked often about no matter how much we have, it will never be enough. It doesn't matter how big our storehouses, our bank accounts, anything that we might be able to acquire in this life, it's never going to be enough. Our happiness is a fickle emotion. It is something that changes uh, in, within seconds. We can go from having the greatest day to the absolute worst day. Uh, maybe you just got that brand new car that you've waited your entire life to get and all of a sudden you pull out of the car dealership <laughs> and you get smacked by another car. Suddenly, the happiest day of your life goes to the worst day of your life. And at the end of it all, we had the joyful note that death comes for us all. That was the refrain that came through Ecclesiastes over and over again. This is the reality of existing in a world, living in a world that is broken by sin. And this is the reason why the scriptures constantly are encouraging us to pursue joy in Christ rather than the happiness that the world brings. The best the world has to offer is happiness. And we can lose it in a moment. And that's the reason why the Bible says all the time, pursue after Christ, pursue after the Lord. Joy is rooted in the reality of Christ. Joy is rooted in the promises of Christ. The promises that we've been given in him and through him, right? And those promises are unshakable. There is absolutely nothing that can come between the Lord and fulfilling the promises that he has made to his people. We can stand firm on that. Speaking on this, in an article on Patheos.com, Arthur Jack Wilhelm says, Joy isn't like happiness, which is based on uh, happenings, or other things are going well or not. No, joy remains even amidst suffering. Joy is not happiness. Joy is an emotion that's acquired by the anticipation, acquisition, or even the expectation of something great or wonderful. Significantly different than happiness. This is the reason why we talk about joy specifically in and around Christmas. Now, we talk about joy often at other times, but we very specifically talk about it around Christmas because of the promise of Christ's coming and the fulfillment of all the prophecies that were put out there in awaiting His coming shows and declares that we have never-ending joy for those who will put their faith in Him. 
We can trust in these promises of God. In Luke 2, verses 10 to 14, the angel of the Lord told the shepherds, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you news of good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. And this year, for Advent, I mentioned that I wanted to point out the practical ways that Jesus' presence fulfilled the promises that we have of hope, the promises that we have of peace, and the promises that we have for love. And so we've seen some of these promises kept through his healing of the lame and the blind. That's what Jesus pointed to when John the Baptist began to lose hope. He said, hey, do you remember the prophecies about me in the Old Testament? Well, I'm, I'm fulfilling those. So take hope in the fulfillment of these prophecies. We've seen him keep promises through the calming of a storm. If he can bring peace to a raging sea, he can bring peace into each of our lives. We've seen him keep promise, his promise of love through his coming to be a perfect sacrifice for us. Through his going to the cross, we have seen the outpouring of his love in that. That is how he kept the promise of love. And now we're going to look at the promise of joy. Right? We're looking at the promise of joy for those who put their faith in Jesus for their salvation. No matter what our circumstances are, we can find joy because we have love, hope, and peace in Christ. Right? So to consider this, I want us to look at what might be a familiar passage to many of you. Uh, which is John chapter 11, verses 1 to 44. This is the passage about the resurrection of Lazarus. Right, in this story, we're going to see three things that I want you to be mindful of. Three things to pay attention to as we read through it so that we can find that we can have the possibility of joy even when we're dealing with deep, deep despair. These three things are we see the love of Jesus, we see the power of Jesus, and we see the promises of Jesus fulfilled. Even though in this passage, that fulfillment of those promises are just a shadow of the ultimate fulfillment that's going to come with his second coming. All right, so I want to pray before we get into the passage, and then we're going to read this whole thing. All right, so let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for your word, and we're grateful that it shows us how we uh, need to interact with you. It shows us how we can trust in your promises and i pray that today our minds would be open to the idea of how we can have joy found in our relationship with you Lord, it's in your son's precious name that i pray amen all right so i'm going to read through this whole thing right don't get freaked out it's really it's a really quick read okay but i do want you to follow along with me and hang in there okay it's going to go quicker than you'll than you really think so beginning in verse 1, Luke chapter 11, it says, Now a man was sick, Lazarus from, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent him a message, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. 
Then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you and you're going there again. Aren't there 12, 12 hours in a day? Jesus answered, if anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. He said this, and then he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on the way to wake him up. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then plainly told them, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Then Thomas, called twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too so that we may die with him. Then when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and he's calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were there with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there is already a stench because he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they removed the stone then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips, and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. See, not so bad. Here we have Lazarus and his two sisters facing a difficult situation. Right, Lazarus is very sick, sick enough to where the, his sisters are concerned about his life. And so they send word to Jesus expecting that Jesus would come and heal him. Jesus loves this family. We're told that in the passage. And so it stands to reason that if Jesus would go out of his way, which we see all the time in the Gospels. We see him going well out of his way in order to meet specific people, in order to do specific healings. If he will do these things, then it should stand a reason that for a family that he actually has genuine affection for, not just kind of the brotherly love that we have for everyone, but a family that he genuinely knows, genuinely shared life with, genuinely cares about, you would think that hearing that one of his friends is sick, knowing he could do something about it, he would come running. 
But Jesus does something surprising, doesn't he? He waits. He waits two days before he even attempts to begin to make his way to Bethany. He says there that the sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And yet, as he waited, Lazarus died. Right? So, uh-oh. Right? Was Jesus wrong? The disciples heard this. Was Jesus wrong? Does this prove that Jesus isn't who he says he is? Well, not at all. Jesus never said that Lazarus wouldn't die, did he? He said that this whole situation wouldn't end in death. Now, Jesus knew before he left that he was going to resurrect Lazarus. Right? And he waited for a few days so that there would be no question that Lazarus was dead when he called him out of the tomb. Right? You can't spend four days in a tomb and, and be okay. Especially not if you were as sick as Lazarus was before he went into the tomb. And so there's no question at all that Lazarus is deceased. There's no question at all that when they roll that stone back, it's not going to smell great. Because he's been dead for four days. When he arrives, he sees people grieving over the loss of their family member, their friend, their, their mem the member of one of their communities. They see that he sees them grieving over that. Mary and Ma Martha are absolutely distraught, as any one of us would be at losing uh, a sibling or any other loved one for that matter. And you can tell that they're disappointed that Jesus didn't come to Lazarus uh, when they sent for him. Right? Both state clearly, Lazarus would not have died if you were here. Now, we don't know what kind of attitude they said that with, but they both said it. And they both had expectation that Jesus would come and do something about this situation. Uh, but we see there that their faith in Jesus' power hadn't wavered at all. Right? Like they said, if you were here, this wouldn't have gone this way. But at this point, they may have been questioning his love. I thought you loved us. I thought you loved Lazarus. Didn't you tell us that? Haven't you shown us that you care for us, very specifically us? But you weren't here. You, weren't, you didn't come the moment that we told you there was a problem. Right? You should have been here. And if we're honest, most of us have probably thought something similar to this at some point in our life. Right? If you haven't, I'm guessing you probably will. This is just the nature of living in a broken world. Right? I sincerely hope not. I really hope that none of you ever experience this. Uh, but when pain is overwhelming, when that pain is physical pain, whether it's emotional pain, if it's spiritual pain, sometimes it's hard to keep the positive perspective of what we deserve as rebels against God, as enemies of God, and it's hard for us to remember who God is in all this. Right? Our sin leads us to think, if you love me, this person wouldn't have died. If you love me, I wouldn't have lost my job. If you love me, I wouldn't have gotten in that wreck. If you love me, I wouldn't have gotten sick. So Mary and Martha are, are going through what comes naturally to us when we're put under immense pressure. Does God really love me? He says he does. He, it says in his word over and over again that he loves us. And yet here I am. I'm suffering. And it's more than I can bear. So does God really 
love me. There's accusation in their statements. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. In these interactions, Jesus tells Martha that her brother will rise again. And you can tell that Martha is knowledgeable about uh, eschatology. Right? That's the study of the end times. She's knowledgeable about who God is, what his promises are, and what's going to happen at the end of it all when Christ returns and everything is made new. She is knowledgeable of these things. She says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection. She knows about the resurrection. She believes in the resurrection. The Bible says that one day every single person, both believer and non-believer, will be resurrected from the dead. The Bible says that every single one of us will face judgment. And depending on what we have done with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ will determine whether we go to eternal joy in the presence of God forever or whether we will go to eternal condemnation separated from God forever. Martha believes this. Jesus tells Martha, no, what you're saying is true, but that's not what I mean. I'm not talking about then. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. If anyone believes in me, he says, even if he dies, he will live. Jesus says to Martha, do you believe this? Martha affirms she does believe this. Right? And then Mary comes and then she makes her accusation. If you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. And we see in, this, in that part of the passage, there's an exclamation mark there. Right? Mary was the one who was all about getting the work done. right? She was upset. right? She was the one that spoke out. When Jesus saw her crying, she saw the grief. And when, saw, when he saw the grief of those who were with her, it says he was deeply moved in his spirit. He was troubled. And it says that he wept for the loss that he, because he did love Lazarus, and everyone else was experiencing. Right, now, why would Jesus weep in this moment? Right, he knows what's getting ready to happen. Why not just tell everybody, calm down. You, you don't know it yet, but this is about to get really cool. Right? Why, why wouldn't he say that? I've got this. Everything is under my control. We're good. The reason for that is because he has empathy for what they're going through, and he's experiencing what they're going through. Uh, he loved Lazarus. He loves Mary and Martha. I'm sure that hearing the accusation in their voice stings quite a bit because he loves his family. Right? And, and he's experiencing this, and he's thinking in his mind, it's not supposed to be like this. Right? It's not supposed to be a life full of pain and suffering and death. This is not how it was designed. We were meant to live in perfect relationship with God. We were meant to live in perfect relationship with one another. We were not meant to get sick. We were not meant to get old. We were not meant to suffer. Like, this is heartbreaking to Jesus because he knows what it should be like. And he sees what it is like. And it breaks him down. And he weeps. He weeps over the fact that creation is cursed. He weeps over the fact that his friend is dead. He weeps over the fact that his other friends are mourning and hurt because of their serious loss. He knows everything's about to change, but he still feels all of that. He still experiences that. 
And the fact that all of this is happening, it leads some people to talk, as we are often led to do. Right? They begin to gossip. He says, couldn't, they'd say, couldn't he stop this? I mean, this guy, he was able to heal the blind. He was able to heal the lame. And yet, he couldn't do anything about his friend. Surely he could have healed this man. So they're beginning to question, did he really love Lazarus? Is he really as powerful as we have been led to believe? Jesus, deeply moved again, he comes to the tomb and he tells the people there to remove the stone. And Martha suggests they don't. So Jesus, it's been four days. Lazarus is going to smell. Right? I, I really, I, I don't read the King James a lot, but in the King James it says he stinketh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so he's going to smell really bad after four days. And Jesus reminds her, he says, didn't I tell you if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So the stone is removed. Jesus prays. He prays in the presence of God, not because he had any question about what was getting ready to happen. He prays for the benefit of the crowd. And then he calls, Lazarus, come out. And then out hops Lazarus. And I, again, I, when I, I see cartoons in my brain when I read. And so I see, you know, this dude bound, hands and feet, and he's hopping out and his face is covered he can't see probably doesn't know fully what's going on and i can imagine again this is how it works in my brain when they pulled that off of his face he was mad i mean can you imagine being in the presence of god paul says to be absent of the body is to be in the presence of god so all that bad stuff that went on was over for Lazarus. He was a believer in Jesus, so he's in the presence of God, and all of a sudden he's back on earth. So I see him hopping out going, Are you kidding me? His hands and his feet are, are bound in a burial cloth. And he comes out and he's standing again before his family and his Lord. Evidence of the resurrection. Evidence of God's power. Evidence that God's promises are true. And when we look at this, we can see situations that we have either faced or will face at some point in our life. Right? We see sickness in this. And we can relate to that. I mean, the pandemic showed everyone that anybody can get sick. We can, we can have our entire life changed with a phone call. One blood draw... And one phone call later, and our entire lives can be different. Whether that be for us or someone that we care about. Right? We go to the doctor, we get a bad diagnosis, and suddenly our lives change forever. Right? Maybe we don't experience this. Maybe it's someone that dies. Maybe they die from a long illness or they die unexpectedly. Because sin in the world, we all experience sickness. We will all experience death at some point in our life and so the the reality of this is that we can still find joy in the midst of all that because we see certain things in this passage that i mentioned before right number one god loves us we talked about this last week so i'm not going to dive too deep into that but the cross proves that god loves us no matter what else we experience, no matter what else we go through, the cross proves 
that God loves us. For Jesus to step out of glory and to put on a fleshly body and to experience everything that we have to go through. Sickness, fatigue, sadness, hunger, thirst, pain. For Jesus to do that, it proves that he loves us. For the, his willingness to go to the cross, to endure the wrath of God on your behalf and on my behalf, it proves that he loves us. We can't always understand all the hardship that we go through. We can't always understand the difficulty. We don't understand how that is shaping us to be like Christ. But even in all of that, God loves us. Now, do you think that God cares any less about you than He did for Lazarus? Like he wept over the death of Lazarus. He wept over the pain that was experienced from his friends and his family. Do you think that as you're struggling that Jesus cares any less for you? He went to the cross to prove that he loves you more than life itself. The second thing that we can take encouragement from, that we can rest our joy on, is that God has the power to heal. Right? Mary is convinced that if Jesus were there, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Martha is convinced. Wait, who did I say first? They're both convinced that if Jesus were there, he, Lazarus wouldn't have died. Right? Jesus spent his ministry healing people. That was part of the plan that would prove that he was the Messiah. If he had been there, he could have chosen to heal Lazarus. But the thing is, though, Jesus didn't have to be there to heal Lazarus. And we see several times in Scripture where Jesus healed from far off. In Matthew chapter 8, you find the story, Jesus heals a centurion's servant. Jesus was going to come to the centurion's house. And he says, no, 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 I, I'm not worthy to have you in my house. He says, I know you have authority. I know you have power because I have some authority and power as well. People do what I tell them to do. And I know that everything does what you tell it to do. So if you will just want him to be healed, he will be healed. And Jesus said, wow, that's some crazy faith you got there. He's healed. And he goes back and he finds that he is completely healed. In Matthew 15, we see a story of a, of a Gentile woman coming to Jesus seeking help for her demon-possessed daughter. And it, it's, a, it's an odd interaction there. We see Jesus seemingly snubbing her, saying that you know, he didn't come for the Gentiles, at least not for this point of his ministry. And yet she showed great faith. She pled with Christ, and she persisted in that pleading. Like the disciples were like, she's following us, and she won't stop yelling. And because of her great faith, Jesus healed her daughter and never went near her. We also see, lastly, in John chapter 4, there's a Capernaum official who came to Jesus because his son was near death. And he asked for Jesus to come to his house before his son died. Uh, but Jesus said, go home. Your son, your son will live. And he goes home and he finds out that in that moment when Jesus said, your son will live, his son was healed. 
So Jesus had the power to heal. If he had wanted to heal Lazarus, he never had to get off the rock that he was teaching from. He could have been like, done, and it's over. And Lazarus would have gotten up, and it would have been fine. But Jesus wanted to show a different type of power. He wanted to show a different type of healing, didn't he? Sometimes the healing that God gives to his people comes in different forms than what we ask for. Right? I remember very clearly uh, after my brother passed, my brother passed a little over three years ago. I remember very clearly knowing in my heart and in my head that Charlie was healed. But I also remember very clearly praying to God, that's not what I meant. You knew that is not what I meant. Charlie suffered from epilepsy for a long time. And I prayed for years, years, for him to be healed. And then suddenly he goes to sleep and doesn't wake up. That's not what I meant. But he was healed. He was healed. And I wouldn't, for the life of me, pray for him to come back. Because I believe that Lazarus was mad. And I believe that Charlie would be mad. To be in the presence of God and then to come back to this life. Lazarus died again. Lazarus experienced pain. The resurrection that he experienced was a shadow of our future resurrection. Our future resurrection will be eternal. There will be no end. Lazarus had to experience the hardship of life again. He had to experience the difficulties of life again. He got sick again. He got old again. Lazarus died again. Sometimes the healing that we experience isn't what we want. But it's often better for those that we're praying for than what we're even asking for. But we can rest in the joy that knowing that God knows what's best for us and He has the power to do whatever He wants. And it is within His will and it is a good, righteous plan. We can put our joy in that. And then lastly, we can rest in the fact, we can place our, hang our joy on the fact that God's promises are true. There are over 300 prophecies that talked about the coming of the Messiah. And Jesus fulfilled them all. There was a promise very, from the very start when sin entered the world before, Jesus, before God ever dished out the punishment. He promised that one would come that would rescue His people. And the whole narrative of the Bible is God fulfilling that promise. Until we get all the way up to the point where in the beginning of the Gospels, we see the culmination of all those promises coming true in Christ. And then we get to see Him living his, the perfect life that we couldn't live, going to the cross on our behalf, which was also promised. If you read Psalm 22, you see, him, you see the psalmist talking about a, a method of death that didn't exist at that time with Jesus going to the cross. It's almost word for word what we see in the gospel narrative. 
And if we see all this, if all these promises are true, why would we not trust the future promises that God has given to us and live our lives according to those promises? The promises were true about Jesus' coming. The promises about resurrection are true. The promises about judgment are true. The promises of Revelation 21 are also true. Revelation 21 verses 1 to 7 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and He will live with them. They will be His peoples, and God Himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Guys, these promises are true. There will be a day when we will have resurrected bodies. There will be a day when my back no longer hurts, and I long for that day. There will be a day when my headaches are gone, and I long for that day. There will be a day when we resurrect bodily, and we will go before, the God, before God in judgment. Are you ready for that day? Because on that day, you will either stand on your own merit where you present God the very best of your life and He says, that is like a filthy garment to me. Or you will stand and you will present the life of Christ and the blood that He shed on the cross for you and for me. And Jesus will look at us and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a little, so here is much. And we will go into glory. And we will experience no more grief. We will experience no more pain. There will be no more dying. And sin is gone. So if we can believe that, we can hang our joy on these promises, on this truth. But we've got to live our lives like we believe it. Stated belief plus actual practice equals your actual belief. Do you believe that these promises are true? And if you would shake your head and say yes to that, then does your life reflect that you believe that these promises are true? Are you willing to sacrifice parts of this life so that you can have treasures in heaven for the next? Do you value the people of God? Do you look at those who are lost, dying, and going to hell and, do, and try your best to do something about it? Now we can rest in this joy. We don't need to pursue the happiness that this world offers. That's not to say that there won't be happy moments. We get some of those blessings from the Lord. But we need to be living for joy and we need to be willing to sacrifice our lives for the betterment of those who are around us. We trust that these promises are true and we lean into it with all of our lives. How are you doing with that? 
What changes do you need to make to show, to prove that you believe this is true? Maybe it's you've got someone at work or at school or, or somewhere that you don't think is a believer in Christ and you don't know because you've never asked. Maybe you need to make a point to have that conversation with them. Right? Maybe you need to, to find somewhere to give generously. Maybe somewhere you need to serve generously. Right? The true measure of our faith is how we take care of orphans and widows. Is there something out there for you to do, some action step that you can take to show my joy hangs on the Lord and I will live this life accordingly? Think about that as we pray. Father, I come before you grateful. Grateful that we can trust in your promises. Grateful that you have proven that we can put our hope we can put our peace, we can put our love, and now we can put our joy in Christ. <clears throat> Life is hard for us. You understand that we have significant weakness because of our substance and what we are made of. So Lord, I pray that you would give us strength, you would give us perspective that you would help us to understand all that we need to be doing with our lives because our joy is found in you. Lord, if there's anybody here today that is suffering, maybe they're questioning how much you love them, I pray that they would look to the cross. And I also pray that they would let us know what's going on so that we can surround them with the church. You have provided us with the people of God so that we can be your hands and feet so that we can lift them up to help carry their burden. And I pray we get to be that and do that here today. Lord, it's in your son's precious name that I pray. Amen.